staring goggle-eyed at football's new dawn. It's the Totally Football Show. Today, Blade Runners. Sheffield get win and didn't steal it, but can they replicate this against a team that's not Crystal Palace? A great start for the finish is Norwich's Pookie, the UK's real yellow hammer, and Man City drop points. We ask, has the football experience been ruined by a team of people in a room miles away, reviewing key moments, or are we okay now we've tweaked our sound quality a bit? It's all in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Daniel Story's with us. Good morning. From the I newspaper. You were at Stamford Bridge on Sunday. I was, indeed. And at the buffet, am I right? Yes, you are very, <laughs> very right. Tom Williams is here as well, author of Do You Speak Football? And Tom, you faced the raucous crowd and tense, intimidating atmosphere of your front room. Yes, I was also at Stanford Bridge yesterday. Oh, were you? Yes, I was sitting in front of Daniel, in fact. Natalie Jedra. Hello. Hi, Natalie Jedra from ESPN Brazil. You were at the Etihad. Yes, I was. On Saturday. Very entertaining. And, and you're on your way to Wolves this evening, yes. dramatically. Yes. If you had to distill the footballing experience down to one lesson, one takeaway from, from the last couple of days, what would it be? VAR. Really? <laughs> okay, VAR. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's VAR or if it's the new rules. Well, that's something that's we'll discuss, thing. I yeah. guess, if you want to stick around. this is, or, or, or maybe not. Daniel? Uh, I think probably Steve Bruce and Newcastle, uh, dismal away at Norwich. Right. I'm going to go Danny Ceballos, who was brilliant for Arsenal against Burnley um, and who I think has the potential to have pretty significant impact on the way they play. Danny Onions. We'll be talking about all of those themes, except maybe the VAR, in the course of today's show. But it was the first weekend since April 2014 in which the reigning champions of the major European leagues failed to win. Barcelona, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain, Juve, who didn't play, admittedly, and Manchester City. So on this historic round, we'll begin uh, very shortly with Man City getting held by Spurs. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. City 2, Spurs 2, Saturday evening. Natalie, you were there. Yes. City dropped two points despite outplaying Spurs to a remarkable degree, outshooting them 30 shots to three. KDB was brilliant, VAR perhaps less so. Let's start, though, with the football. How, how did City drop points here? I think it was more of a lack of accuracy, in terms of the way City was playing because they were dominating the match. Spurs did good defending. Kevin De Bruyne was just brilliant. It's so nice to see him playing this level. He's so talented and he reads the, the game in such a brilliant way that he really makes up for everything. And and you see how smart City City's moves are. And Kevin is a crucial player uh, in determining all of this, the dynamic. So it's it's okay that he's not 100,000% fit because he makes up for everything. He's already got more assists this season than he did last. Yeah, which I think just shows how much football he missed last season. Um, and as Natalie was saying, it's just great to see him back doing what, what we've got used to seeing him do in a Man City shirt. Um, I mean, the season before last, he was neck and neck with Mo Salah for player of the year for most of the season. I mean, absolutely sensational player. So fundamental to the way that City play. Um, I think if you were to um, pick holes in Tottenham's defending, you'd say that when you got a player who is so accurate, so deadly with his delivery from wide areas, you don't give him as much space as Spurs gave De Bruyne. Because apart from the two assists, there were two or three times when he managed to run in behind Danny Rose or to pick up the ball just in front of the back four um, and put those crosses in. Um, but yeah, almost like a new signing, given how injury-plagued last season was. Um, and yeah, a good sign for City that he's back to his best. Mm. What did you make of City, Daniel? Yeah, I thought they were they were obviously excellent, but we had this last season around November December time where they almost started games so fast that they they assumed that victory would happen and they assumed that if they carried on playing like that then they would win and if you played that match 100 times Manchester City would win 97 98 of them, but that's not good enough for Pep Guardiola if if you're as dominant as that particularly against a team where you can lay down a marker. Most people think Spurs will probably finish third. You have to take it. And I don't know if it's almost that they're, they're too dominant in possession that they just kind of forget to finish things off. And the reality is if, you're, if you are that profligate in front of goal, 
then the opposition will have a chance. And, and they were unfortunate that Spurs took their ch- those chances, but that'll happen if you get sloppy. And Guardiola will be particularly angry this week at that, I'm sure. Mm. And that wasn't the only misfortune. They had what they thought was a late winner. They'd celebrated as a late winner. Aguero and, and Guardiola hugging out their issues on the <laughs> sideline in, in, in the light of uh, Gabriel Jesus's putative winning strike, mm. which was then yes. called back because of a handball rule, which there's a lot of controversy over. The other controversy about this is the fact that the same VAR unit that turned down that goal had previously waved through, turned a blind eye to a pretty clear penalty by Lamella on... Who was that on? Was it Aguero? Rodri, yeah. Oh, on Rodri. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's one of the issues with, with VAR, that you, you have this inconsistency. I mean, we know that Premier League referees are going to use a higher bar than we've seen with the VAR previously, and I'm guessing that's what happened with the penalty claim. We saw Michael Oliver seemingly mouthing to players who were asking him that he'd seen the incident, wasn't a penalty. That's you, obviously what he's telling the VAR. You've done the VAR run-through? I've you? not done the VAR run-through, okay. no. I, I mean, I have myself. So basically, the two guys sit there, and you have a couple of buttons, and as soon as you see anything that you think needs reviewing, you hit the button, and then the video operator, who's alongside the two of you, will go back and show you all the angles. Yeah, I, he seemed to, I, I got the impression that Oliver was, was saying, whether it was to City's players who were appealing, or whether it was to the VAR himself, that he'd seen it and he was happy that it wasn't a, a penalty. Um, so you've got that high bar when it comes to things like penalties, but then we, when the handball rule, you've got the lowest bar possible. I mean, yes, the ball hits Laporte's arm, but in no way is that morally a handball. No single player on the pitch you know, even realised that it was a handball. And I think right. that's what's so unsatisfying. And I think that it sort of shines a light on uh, potential problems ahead for the Premier League because it's all well and good to say, OK, we're going to use a high bar, which I think most people would accept because mm. we don't want to see constant VAR interventions. But then to have a moment like that, you know, the drama of a, a stoppage time winner ruled out for something that you had to watch about three or four times to actually see probably, is just so unsatisfying. Probably something that VAR would have preferred to have ignored, but their hands, ironically, were tied by the fact that this rule changes has ju- just been introduced. There you go then, a bit rough for City. And once again, again, Spurs. What is it about Spurs and City? Well, mainly it's it's Mauricio Pochettino's personality. It suggests that he's a man who will manage teams to to fight adversity and to at least stay in a contest when they're emphatically behind in possession and in territory and in run of the game. He is a fighter and he will tell his players that while you're only one goal behind against Manchester City, you will have a chance. Yeah, they should have been two or three behind, but that's not the point. Um, he will expect far better from his defenders and expect far, far more from Christian Eriksen. Did Vertonghen not play in this game? No, no, again, no, sec- was, second in a row. So what's happening there? Well, From what I hear, it's Mauricio Pochettino sending a message to say that I don't believe you were good enough in pre-season training. I don't think you were intense enough. It helps that he can do that in a position where he has a £40 million backup, I suppose, in Davinson Sanchez. But yeah, that's the explanation. You weren't intense enough and I won't stand for that. How are Pep and Aguero getting on, Natalie? Were you sat near that? <laughs> uh, yes, I saw that and I interviewed Pep after the match and he explained that it was all a misunderstanding between the two when Aguero uh, was substituted. Uh, he understood that Pep was complaining about something that he wasn't, so that's that's why they, they argued on the, on the touchline. I'm sure that these things happen all the time in every football club, but it's really rare to see that happening there in the touchline. It's all good now. Pep uh, praised Aguero after the match, said he's a great guy. He knows Aguero very uh, very well. So it's all good there. But it was an interesting moment to see, especially considering how Gabriel Jesus has been playing well. I was talking about it with Pep as well. He, he said that Gabriel seems uh, much more confident and happier after uh, he came back from Copa America. He did really well in Copa America. And he does uh, bring this uh, confidence in his game. Plus, I think he's evolving in terms of the way he moves on the pitch. It's much more clever than when he arrived. He's occupying the spaces more cleverly. So I think this is going to be very useful to to City. And we might see more of Gabriel Jesus this season, uh, regardless of how good or not good the relationship between Guardiola and Aguero is. I see. City looking pretty strong then, despite the two points dropped. Liverpool going clear of them with their 2-1 victory over Saints but City arguably even stronger then with Jesus looking better and with Kevin De Bruyne back to fitness Mm. than they were last year Liverpool not sure if we can say the same about them particularly after Adrian's performance how worried should Liverpool be about Adrian coming in there for Alisson 
I think it is a bit of a worry. I think it's more in terms of his role in the build-up play than his strength as a goalkeeper. Because I, as a goalkeeper, Adrian is is one of the one of the best backup goalkeepers in the division. But what we saw at Southampton on Saturday was that he's not really comfortable with the ball at his feet. And Allison's ability to not just pick the first pass, but to beat opposition forwards was such a crucial part of the way that Liverpool played last season. And even before the calamitous error from Adrian that gifted the goal to Danny Ings, Loris Carrier style at the end of the game, there'd been a couple of incidents in the first half where he it's like when he gets the ball, he suddenly becomes blind to all the attacking players in his vicinity. And there'd been a warning before the, the Southampton goal where he let a Southampton player get too close to him and then suddenly he has to panic and, and get rid of it. Um, so I, I think it is a concern for Liverpool because when you, when you rely or when, you, when you're used to being able to rely on your goalkeeper to start playing out from the back and you no longer can, and when opposition teams know that there's an issue there, as they now clearly will, then it is a bit of a problem. I see. Although he was was dealing with a swollen ankle after that extraordinary injury that he picked up midweek. Mm. Yeah, he, yeah, a fan running onto the pitch and slipping over and kind of two-footed tackle basically on his ankle. I think you're absolutely right about pressing Adrian and they play Arsenal next week and they've typically been brilliant against Arsenal at home. I think they've scored 22 goals in six games against them. But if you've got if you've got that front three of of Aubameyang, Lacazette, and Pepe, you will he will Emery will be telling them just to hassle and hassle and hassle and hurry Adrian, and you can see a goal coming from that. If you look at I mean Arsenal at Watford last season, Aubameyang closing down Foster is something he's very good at. He's probably the quickest centre forward in the division. So. Yeah, a potential concern for Liverpool. Tough start for Saints so far. Any concerns? Um, I'm I'm not sure I'd be concerned. I mean, if you you look at how the game evolved against Liverpool, um, they had chances. Had Danny Ings not missed that sitter right at the end, they would have come away with a draw. You look at the expected goals, um, and it was 1.93 to Southampton, 1.29 to Liverpool, which shows that they created the better quality chances. And Ings should have scored that at the end. That's one of the worst misses I've seen. Yeah, I, I think I, I think Southampton had they got a draw. I'm not sure. You know, you could have said that they hadn't deserved it. So, well, but I think the fact that they're creating chances but not taking them—that was kind of the story of last season. As that well. was a problem last season. Yeah, um, but they've now got Che Adams up, up front, and you know, I guess the hope is that he will in time come to address that problem but yeah I think compared to what they did on the, on the opening weekend what they produced against Liverpool was much more encouraging Aye Nakamura there with Pookie Riding high in the French charts right now. Tom, listening to the lyrics, is that about the Norwich striker and leading scorer in the Premier League? Um, I'm just looking at the lyrics now. It doesn't appear to be right. about the Norwich striker. If it is, it's in a very broad metaphorical Yes, I think sense. so. Yeah. All right. Certainly Norwich City fans are disappointed with the coverage of their team in last Thursday's Totally Show, Tom. So let's talk Canaries here after a fine victory for Norwich and Pookie the star man with his hat trick. What an extraordinary story. There's a general formula when we buy, when close by players from Scotland, which is that they overperform in Scotland and then they come down for kind of cut price fees because we're not convinced they'll make the grade in the Premier League. Whereas Timu Pookie was a pretty much an abject failure at Celtic. He scored seven in 32 games in a Celtic team that scored over 100 league goals that season. Uh, went to Bromby on loan eventually permanently and another success for Norwich's scouting network because they picked him up on a free transfer, top score in the championship last season. And I mean, I didn't think he'd score more than five or six league goals all season and he's joined with Raheem Sterling on four already. Incredible. Also, the first player ever to score four goals in his first two Premier League matches, which I found hard to believe, but I've seen it in several different places, so I'm inclined to believe it. Right, and given that one of them was against Liverpool, mm. that, that is remarkable. The, the three against Newcastle, perhaps uh, <laughs> less so. Um, are teams, though, I mean, it's all very exciting and very entertaining, but are teams going to work out how to shut him down? Because are there a lot of different sides to his game, or is he a big guy that you hit? hit? Well, I think w what he showed on Saturday was, and he did it as well in the in the Championship, is he takes shots pretty early. Uh, both the second and the third goal... It, they look like weak goalkeeping for Martin Dubravka, but actually he takes the shot maybe half a second earlier than the goalkeeper's expecting. So they go on the they go on the floor, they go low, but they go past the goalkeeper before he's had a chance to dive. 
that's a sign of a striker in absolute confidence. And yeah, I, I don't suspect he's still going to be at the top of the goal scoring charts at the end of the season. But Burnley showed when they came up that if you get a good start and carry on that positivity for promotion, you can kind of get 12, 15 points on the board before anyone started to work you out. And if you do that, you've got a good chance of staying up. Right. A strong post-game chat as well from Daniel Farker. The first half, we were like a thunderstorm. We created so much lightning. A camp will come into the side and looking good here. Buendia impressing a lot of people as well. This is a sustainable start. It is. I mean, they won't get to play Newcastle every week. Uh, so that should be slightly um, caveated. But yeah, as I say, the most important games for a promoted team when they come up are the home games against established Premier League teams who you think might struggle because that's how you gain an advantage over those teams you can drag into trouble. And um, Sheffield United did it against Crystal Palace and Norwich did it against Newcastle. And they are two teams who quite foreseeably could be dragged into that mess. Daniel Fark calling Norwich like a thunderstorm, Newcastle more like a shower. How, how much trouble are they in, would you say? Yeah, I think they are in trouble. Um, Who's in more trouble? Them, Palace, Aston Villa? I, I think that the mood is lowest at Newcastle because of the, the kind of air of mutiny around the home games and the dismal away performance. Newcastle have, under Benitez, 40 away games under Benitez in the Premier League, the last 40. They conceded more than two in a game, I think, four times, and they were all against top six clubs. They were very good away from home at making the game boring and getting things done. To go and th- concede three against Norwich is, is a pretty dismal start from Steve Bruce. And it, I saw that he called them in for extra training on Sunday and was questioning their passion after the game. They're already the tropes of a side that gets involved in a relegation mess. And I mean, if they do, then Bruce won't be around to see it. Pre-season, we were <clears throat> looking forward to seeing what Joe Wellington and uh, Almiron could come up with together and on the basis of this weekend's game, not very much. I think the dynamic there is still not 100% set. And uh, Joe Ellington can play in, in different roles up front, but I don't feel he's he's comfortable already. Uh, and he missed a chance that he couldn't. He just couldn't. Uh, uh, a player uh, from his quality, with his quality. I would like to see them evolve together. The dynamic uh, on front, uh, up front, to, to see... How, where this could lead to, to Newcastle. Mm. But yeah, not, not very promising until now. Indeed not. Indeed not. I think they're next. Newcastle's next X number of away games are sort of Tottenham, West Ham, Leicester, Manchester United, Chelsea. They've got a horrific run of away games. And the problem is, is that it's almost easier for them to play away than at home at the moment because there's this kind of air of, say, this air of mutiny around games at St. James's. Wow. Okay. Tell us about Palace since we're talking about established-ish Premier League clubs that are really struggling this time yeah I mean they I, I I'm happy now happy to say until they start doing well again but I tip them to go down on on here on our preview show because the worry was always going to be that that the one-man team of last season with Wilfred Zahar running everything uh, was going to be harmed by Zahar's pretty evident desire to leave and the transfer request right at the end of the window and I suppose there's still a chance he could leave to, to Europe although I don't think anyone will pay the fee but he he patently doesn't really want to be there and Without him, there's just no personality in that Palace team. There's there's a collection of players that, it's a bit of a, a lazy cliche, but you, you look down the team sheet and you think, oh yeah, he's played for Crystal Palace. Oh yeah, he's there. Oh yeah, they signed him. But there's not a team there. And Roy Hodgson, I, th- I fear, may just get a little bit weary of it all. Uh, they were really bad against Sheffield United. Andrew Langos, are Palace certainties to go down if Zaha doesn't re- rediscover his form? Has any team ever been more reliant on one player for survival in the Premier League era. Uh, I mean, you think about like Kevin Phillips at Sunderland, but then he, you know, did the job and then he also had Niall Quinn alongside him. Yeah, they had, I'd say probably Letizia Southampton. Yeah. There was that story of when Alan Ball came into the club uh, and his first team, I think they lost their first game and then their first team meeting, he just said, look, the, let's get rid of all taxes now, just get the ball and give it to Letizia. And I think he scored over 10 goals in the rest of the season and kept them up. But yeah, maybe Letizia, but they eventually went down. So... Mm. All right, well, Palace in all sorts of pain then. Uh, Sheffield United with the 1-0 victory over the Eagles this weekend. And Chris Wilder afterwards talking about how these are the, as you mentioned, Daniel, crucial times for newly promoted sides. You have to get the points on the board. I think They look so exciting, Natalie. Have you had a chance to see Sheffield United yet? Sort of, bits. OK, bits. when are you heading up to Bramall Lane? 
Oh, I don't know. It's not on my schedule yet. Oh, but really? oh no, but I'll, but I'll be in Stamford Bridge when they face Chelsea. Okay. So, yeah. Good. Bramall Lane looked absolutely beautiful in the sunshine yesterday. And obviously they've been waiting 13 years for Premier League football to return. Um, and yeah, fantastic performance. And we've spoken so much about this very unique tactical system they use. And, and we saw that with a goal. It came from an overlapping run by one of the centre-backs, Jack O'Connell. Slips the ball inside to Luke Freeman, whose cross shot is, is palmed out. And uh, fantasy football favourite uh, John oh, Lundstrom yeah. follows up uh, to score. And I think an interesting thing about Sheffield United is they signed quite a lot of players over the summer. And there were quite a few eye-catching signings. R- Ravel Morrison... Uh, Phil Jagielka going back. But in the two games they've had so far, the only new player to have started has been Callum Robinson, who started both games. So they're basically picking up where they left off in the championship. And we've seen some teams in recent seasons think that the only way to bridge the gap between the top of the championship and the, the bottom half of the Premier League is to spend massively, completely lose themselves and spend the whole season trying to figure out what they're doing. Whereas Chris Wilder is, is clearly sticking to last season's playbook. Um, and so far, so good. Excellent. How good was Luke Freeman for Sheffield United, asks BM. Had any of the panel seen him in action before he's got the ability to be a star this season? He's one of those, in the championship at QPR, he was one of those players' players in that every team they played against, would after the game they would say, yeah, he was the danger man, he's the one to watch, but never really got linked with a Premier League move and it was only realistically going to come through a promoted side, but... He could be one of the bargains of the season. He's, he's an absolutely excellent technical footballer. Super stuff from Sheffield United. We'll talk more about uh, some of the other teams struggling like your Villas, your Watfords later on. After this, we're back to the top six contenders. It's nice to have a break from advertising. So here's some classical music. Nice. Hmm. At Paddy Power, we thought football shirts could use a break from advertising too. That's why we've sponsored Huddersfield Town's shirt without a logo and started the Save Our Shirt campaign where any football team that Paddy Power sponsor will be, well, unsponsored. (laughs) Don't you wish we weren't on your shirt too? Now, let's get Bark to the music. (laughs) Paddy Power, enough of the nonsense. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Top six contenders, Natalie. Man United go this evening at Wolves in front of you. Yes. That'll be nice. Yes, it will. Have you been to Molyneux before? Yes, a few times. Uh I like it. The atmosphere is great. Good. Yeah. Arsenal, meanwhile, this weekend continued their winning start with Burnley. And Chelsea took on Leicester uh, in a fixture that, Daniel, you were predicting would give us sixth against seventh this season. But in which order? After your trip to Stamford Bridge, what do you think? I I can't really work out Lampard's tactics, I have to say. They were playing, basically almost playing as Chelsea did against Manchester City last season and they got thumped in that they're playing three attacking midfielders behind a striker, which is kind of fine. But then they're also allowing N'Golo Kante to push up as he did last season. Emerson is guaranteed to stay as high up the pitch as he can, which means that as soon as they play a counter-attacking team, the last half an hour yesterday was, was... I mean, it was almost comedy to watch because every time Leicester got the ball, they had three on two or three on three. You could argue that Lampard's faced probably three of the worst teams in the Premier League for for a counter-attacking football. So, you know, played Manchester United at Old Trafford, played Liverpool and then played Leicester. But that wasn't any surprise. We knew what those teams offered and there doesn't seem to be a plan to counteract it. it. It's a bit worrying, I think. And why is it they look so much better in the first half of those games than they do in the second? I guess yesterday you could say 120 minutes on Wednesday night wasn't particularly right. helpful. Uh, but the reality is is that the first half yesterday, Leicester were diabolical. They just didn't get going. And as soon as as soon as soon the second half started, you got the sense that Brendan Rodgers had got into their ear and said, this is, not a, you know, this is not a stellar opponent we're facing at the moment. If we get into them, if we put pressure on them, we can be successful. And that's exactly what they did after half-time. Mm. I think even before then, there were, there were signs at the end of the first half. There was one where uh, Arizabal Aga dwelt on the ball a bit too long and Vardy almost got a sniff. And there was one where Vardy almost got onto a, a, a through ball that went through and you realised how much space there was in behind Chelsea. And I think the problem Chelsea had was that their first 20 minutes were fantastic. Exactly what Lampard was after. Mason Mount's goal, the perfect example. Um, and I was, I was watching Lampard quite closely he was constantly telling his players to get up the pitch when Leicester had the ball at the back Mount sneaks in on Wilfred Ndidi's blind side nicks the ball off him 
manages to keep his feet, puts the ball past Schmeichel, and, and they kept at them. But then, yeah, as Daniel said, in the second half, every single time Leicester went forward, there was space, particularly down Chelsea's right-hand side, which is where James Madison was operating. Um, and really, you look at that chance that Madison missed. I mean, he was excellent yesterday, but should really put, be putting that away. And I think had Leicester come away with a win, you couldn't have said that it wasn't deserved. No, I think it's really hard to argue against the fact that Conte is essential in this uh, defensive organisation. And on second half, he was just visibly very tired and when he's not in his full form at least in uh, against Liverpool now and in, in this Leicester match it's and and even against United he made a difference once he entered the pitch he made a difference so things just look a little bit sloppy it's very clear to me what uh, Lampard wants uh, up front but on the back it's just a little bit blurry he said he was happier with the 4-0 defeat at Old Trafford than this game afterwards. What did well, he mean by that? Well, I think they created more clear-cut chances. It's certainly yeah. a, a, a nil-nil against Manchester United. I saw a Chelsea fan tweet yesterday after the game, this looks like a team that if we don't score three times in the first 20 minutes, it's going to be a long season. And that's, that's a slight sarcasm and a slight parody in there. But it does feel like that because... The high-intensity press, Chelsea are not at the level where they, they can do that successfully as Liverpool and Manchester City. They don't keep the ball well enough to conserve energy that they can constantly press that high up the pitch. And in every second half so far this season, I know we've only had three games, but in every second half, they've been outplayed. And if that continues, they are going to have to have two or three goal leads at half-time, otherwise they're going to come unstuck. Mm. Two straight draws for Leicester. So that sixth, seventh question, are you, you any closer to a conclusion after a whole I, 180 minutes of football? I, I thought that Chelsea were the most um, likely of the top six to, to not finish in that top six, and I've, and I've not changed my mind on that, at least. Oh, here's something we've changed our mind on, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Davis-Adams pointing out that we were talking about Timmy and Tammy Abrahams. Uh, that's the, the, the Abrahams brothers. But in actual fact, that's, that's a real abbreviation of the... Of their names, Tammy's full name is Kevin Organatega Tamarebi Bakuma Abraham, and Timmy, who's on Fulham's books currently, is Jason Timabi Organeo Bruchemi Bakuma Abraham. So it's actually more Jason and Kevin than Tammy and Timmy. <laughs> Arsenal, they won their first two Premier League matches of the season for the first time in a decade. Now I know it's early days, and I know they're, they're Arsenal, obviously, but are they back? Is that what's happening? I'm very pleased to see that uh, Unai is really sticking up to the idea of putting the youngsters uh, on the pitch. It's very pleasing to see Reese Nelson and Joe Willock. Uh, even Gendouzi, we're more used to the to 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 him playing, but he's he's a young player as well. So that gives a, a bit of a of, of an ingredient uh, to this season. Besides the fact that they signed really well, so we had uh, more a little bit more of Pepe, but he didn't start again. So we're still waiting to see that. And if you look at the bench, you have great options. You have Torreira, you have Pepe, you have Kolasinac. Uh, Ozzy wasn't involved. So more than two wins, I think the, the perspectives for Arsenal are very exciting. Not to mention Ceballos. Um, he brings so much uh, to the midfield, good solutions. He's very creative. Uh, he's the player. He was the player with the highest number of passes and dribbles against Burnley. So that says something about his, his performance. Mm. It's it's promising. It's promising. Most miles, touches, passes, key passes, and ball recoveries. Uh, he did he add something that's been missing for a long time, like a midfield captain. Yeah, I think so. And I think in tandem with with David Luiz, who made his own um, debut, um, it will make. Arsenal more press resistant I think that's something they've struggled with and it's something that Unai Emery clearly wants to see is his team playing through the lines and getting forward quickly Um, Louise we know is very good at setting that in motion I think what Ceballos did brilliantly was uh, receive passes in very tight areas hold off a couple of opponents um, whether through strength or through his footwork and, and move the ball on and I think that's something they've not had I mean Lucas Torreira has elements of that in his game um, but is not as creative is not as skillful. Uh, Xhaka is, is more of a pure passer so it is something that, that they were missing and he's also got a bit of a bit of grinter about him, I think, so by us. Yeah, he looks yeah. like a leader out there. Yeah, for, for years and years and years, the cliche was that Arsenal were trying to replace Patrick Vieira and that kind of faded away as as years pass but what Ceballos does look like is the perfect Santi Cazorla replacement for they desperately wanted Cazorla to get back fit again they desperately wanted to bring him back into the fold and it's great that he's now flourishing again in Spain but 
in Ceballos, it does look like they have that replacement. Someone who is not afraid to, to protect the ball when he's got two or three men on him and doesn't panic, which is what Arsenal have done too often recently. Plus set pieces, got the assist for uh, Alexander Lacazette's opener and gets the assist for the, the winning goal by uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. And Emery loved it. I don't know whether you saw his celebration. Um, you know, turns to the fans tie and suit jacket sort of flailing and like punching there and I think it was the fact that Ceballos had attempted quite an ambitious crossfield pass that was charged down but then followed up nicks it off the Bernie midfielder and that touch is enough to free Obama Yang who cuts inside Ben Mee and, and puts it in the bottom left corner and that's exactly what Emery wants to see that sort of reaction to the ball being lost that verticality which is such a big part of his approach to football right yeah, and uh, uh, regarding that uh, after the match uh, Emery said that uh, Arsenal didn't necessarily control the match but uh, when they needed they could do things differently they, they could uh, create new solutions so that's good that's good for Arsenal that's good to see uh, at Arsenal finally because I think it's been a couple of seasons since we, we've been waiting for this okay I was also going to mention Nicola Pepe who um, made his debut in the opener at Newcastle. I thought I'd quite a poor game, uh, albeit, you know, it's his debut, you know, he's coming on and trying to find his feet. We saw a bit more of the Nicola Pepe that, that everyone saw at Lille last season. The highlight being that absolutely magnificent nutmeg on Ben Mee, early contender for nutmeg of the season, Although, I would say. I Clubhouse leader. João Felix for Atletico Madrid. Yes, that was very nice. Yeah, that right. was very nice. Sensational. Uh, against all of that, there's still a bit comedy at the back and Burnley and Newcastle are not the toughest opening fixtures. And Liverpool is the toughest uh, third fixture at Anfield because, as I say, they, they lost 5-1 there last season. Uh, they've conceded in threes and fours at Anfield since, since 2012. And it's not just a test of Arsenal's performance, it's a test of, of Emery's courage, really, because we know that this side is is at its best when it's pressing and attacking and hounding the opposition. But it's one thing doing that, as you say, against Newcastle, another with with Liverpool's quick transitions and that defence can very quickly look pretty exposed against against Liverpool's front three. It is going to be a, a really good test of where both sides are at. A quick word on Ashley Barnes who notched up his 13th goal of the calendar year. Only Manny and Aguero have more. Crikey. Yeah, we, we talked about him last week in that he, he he's a perfect worker for Sean Dyche and Burnley. The, the, the main thing about Dyche though, after the game he's sort of he comes into games against, particularly against Arsenal, as if he's already pre-prepared what he's going to say. And he was talking about diving and saying we need to stamp it out of the game, but no Arsenal player dived <laughs> on Saturday. Looks, it was as if he thought they're going to dive here, so I'm going to get ready to say it. Uh, and I, I went back and had a look and was amused to see that Ashley Barnes was booked for diving in February before going on a little scoring run. Because Dyche's answer is ban them for two weeks and then they'll learn. But he's just so tired. I don't know why he bothers doing it. Yeah. Oh, Natalie, can you tell us anything about Arsenal's 18-year-old striker, Gabriel Martinelli? Yes, well, uh, he left Brazil in a very young age. Uh, he he did really well uh, playing for Ituano. Uh, it's a small second division uh, team back in Brazil. Uh, he did really well uh, in the state championship. And he was even on the state championship team of, of that that edition and uh, yeah he's he's very young he, he still has a lot to improve uh, in the Premier League especially but it's a nice sign that he's always on the bench because we thought he might uh, go somewhere or, or but uh, as far as we know uh, he's on uh, Emery's plans so it will be nice to see him at least at cup games mm -hmm. uh, I think it, it looks good Hello and welcome to Limitless with me Joshua Patterson it's the moments in my life where I've challenged my limitations. Those very moments that have defined the person I've become and will continue to be. By realizing that this mental barrier is just a test to a greater thing, I've been able to push through difficult moments, both physical and mental. In this new podcast show, Limitless, I interview guests that have changed their worlds by pushing through what they thought they could not, to defy the odds and statistics given. We give credit to the power people have harnessed from their adversities and share their amazing stories, encouraging you to see your adversities differently along the way and how best to utilize them to your advantage. Each week, I'll be talking to amazing people who have challenged extraordinary limits in their own way. If you'd like to hear more, you can find Limitless on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
or any other major podcast platforms. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Brighton, Tom. They're doing, nice, they're doing nice underground Potter. Drew 1-1 at home to West Ham. Possibly should have got the victory. I think Mopé had a chance at the end, didn't he? Mm, mm. But uh, here's the Cruyff turn saying, new young players from mid-ranking teams were one of the big stories of last season. Brooks, Madison, McNeil. Who is your shout totally for this season? Might it be Trossard? Yes, it might. That wasn't going to be my shout, but I'll, well, I'll, was, I'll take it. Who was your shout? Because Daniel, sorry, listener, Daniel was just pointing vigorously at Tom to say, take this, take this. I want yeah. no part of it. Oh, I see. I, would, I was going to say Bournemouth's Harry Wilson. Okay. Um, but Leandro Trossard, you know, exciting um, and scored what he thought was his first Brighton goal with a fantastic volley mm. midway through the first half, only for the VAR to, uh, to intervene, um, but carried on going and ends up getting the equaliser um, with a very tidy finish from the edge of the box. And I think something we saw with Brighton last season was that they did spend a decent amount of money on attacking players and none of them came good. I mean, Jurgen Akadi was their transfer record. Ali Reza, Yakambash came from AZ in Holland with a big reputation and we saw absolutely nothing from them. And I think that's one of the reasons why Chris Hewton ended up being moved on because money had been invested in the squad and we, we didn't really see anything from those players. And Trossard's another big money signing, um, but it got off to a really good start. I, I think that'll be a big a big element of, of how Brighton get on this season is, is whether Potter is able to, to, to bring the new players like Trossard into the team successfully and to get a little bit more out of the players who arrived 12 months ago who we didn't see anything from last season. I see. 22 goals and 11 assists for Trossard at Genk last season. Natalie, you see, you saw West Ham last weekend as well, didn't you, against Man City? What, what, what are your thoughts on them? Yes, and I, I saw the highlights against Brighton, and I'm a, a little bit a little bit disappointed with uh, West Ham in terms of creative side because they have very good uh, players up front, uh, and uh, Pellegrini he put a, a system uh, where you would figure that they would create a lot of chances because you have Lanzini, you have Wilshire, you don't have Felipe Anderson against Brighton because he was injured, but he played most of the City match. Uh, Chicharito, you have Hallis uh, as well, who played against City and showed uh, very high high quality. But they had eight shots against Brighton, and uh, Brighton had sixteen, so the double. Mm. And um, I don't know. I was I was expecting a little bit more from from West Ham, especially against Brighton. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the new Brighton, Natalie. It's the new look Brighton. Yes. For, for now, uh, Julian was getting excited about pre-season, but he'd done well with Spain in the under-23s and that. Any thoughts on him? Yeah, they, they look like a team that's getting to know each other, but that's kind of the point of pre-season. Now, it isn't enough to say, well, you get four or five games to establish yourself. They don't have European football. They don't have any other commitments. They should be they should be attacking the, the season with gusto, as have weaker teams than them. So, yeah, is a li- I agree with Natalie. It's a little bit disappointing. Nice to see Manuel Lanzini back, mm-hmm. having missed basically the whole of last season through injury, getting an assist for Hernandez. And obviously with all the players that have come in, Fornals and Allo and all the rest of it, there's not been all that much talk about him. But uh, yeah, looking, looking sharp, at least in that instance. Good shout, Tom. Brighton, meanwhile, though, looking impressive. And we've talked about how Norwich and Sheffield United are doing well. And the question of who might end up in the danger zone in their place. Watford, currently bottom of the pile after all of two games. Mm. Uh, a 1-0 defeat at Everton. Yeah, they, they've now taken 32 points from their last 30 league games, Watford. I mean, that's it's a, of course the summer is supposed to provide a, a window in which you get something of a clean slate in August, but that's a pretty long-term run of poor form and a run of poor defending they've still I said it I think I said it last week but they've not kept a clean sheet since February the 9th their last win came against Huddersfield yeah so there is a a slight concern not least because although Watford looked as if they'd cured their let sack a manager when things go wrong tendencies they will still be there at the back of the mind and and he will now be one of the Premier League managers under the most pressure, albeit, as you say, with two games gone. Right, OK. Newcastle's Steve Bruce is in there too. What about Villa? Everyone piling on and calling them the new... Don't worry, Everton fans, we'll come back and salute your, your latest victory in a second. But everyone calling Villa the new Fulham, is that fair? It's a bit early for that, I think. Um, I think it's probably going to take a little bit longer 
um, before they, they figure out what they're doing. I mean, they, they played quite well at, at Spurs um, on the opening weekend. Very difficult opening fixture. Spurs had to work really hard for victory, for Tewitters to get there. Um, clearly started the game very slowly against Bournemouth, you know, two goals down after, what was it, 12 minutes. 12 minutes, minutes yeah. um, So that, that is a concern. But at the same time, they had five players making their home debuts. So we were saying earlier that, that what um, Sheffield United have done successfully so far and what, what Norwich have done as well is they basically picked up where they left off. But Villa, given the amount of money they spent in the window, there was always going to be a higher turnover in terms of players coming into the first 11. And I guess, I mean, one of the issues they have is is how they how they bring those players into the team and, and how quickly they can find a winning formula. All right. You were mentioning before your breakout player potentially for this season being Harry Wilson here with his 10th goal from outside the box since the start of last season yeah and I mean, it's one of the most exciting things in football when you've got a player who's just really good at scoring from 25-30 yards and there aren't many in the game you think like Marco Asensio at Real Madrid he's another one but there's a sense with Harry Wilson every time he gets the ball on his left foot within 30 yards of goal there's a there's a risk of there's a risk of him scoring he scored some sensational goals for Derby last season um, and this one takes a massive deflection off Tyro Mings and bounces in off the post so not one of his best but good to see him getting into those sorts of areas um, and this was his first start for Bournemouth um, having been on the bench in their opening game and yeah you know, a positive start for him and I think that if he can find anything like the sort of form he found for Derby last season he, he should be quite an adequate replacement for David Brooks What a cracking goal from range by the way from uh, Douglas Louise since for instance Yeah sensational goal Douglas Louise's hair I found fascinating because <laughs> he has cornrows mm. And the, the, the rows thems, themselves are peroxide blonde. Everything in between is, is, is black, which is his natural hair colour. And I, I've never seen anyone with a hairstyle Tom, like that before. it's a language that you and I cannot it is, speak. It is a language yeah. that we cannot speak. But, but I mean, yeah, yeah. That, that, I mean, that really struck me. Not to take anything away from the quality of the goal. <laughs> Wonderful 25-yarder top bins. But uh, Where's he yeah. from, Douglas? He's, he was on Man City's books. But where is yeah. yes. his prominence? Brazilian. Is he? Yes, right. he is. Okay. He's Brazilian. And I think there's uh, much more to expect from him. Hmm. Uh, uh, he he left Brazil in in a very promising way. Uh, he was playing really well for Vasco, and uh, he's a young player. He didn't have a chance to to play for the Premier League now he's having and I think he needs to adjust his game to Villa and to the Premier League. But he's very talented. He's skillful. Looks promising for him. Superb, yeah. superb. All right, so Villa, plenty of time to uh, to get themselves back on track. How about Everton though? Tenth mm. clean sheet in the last thirteen. Haven't conceded a Goodison now since February when Man City got two there. Only Manchester City and Liverpool have more clean sheets since the start of last season. Which, given the worries about Michael Keane and the slight doubts about Yerry Mina and yeah. uh, and Luca Dean settling and Jordan Pickford losing his mojo a little bit and Idrissa Gay leaving this summer. Mm. Fair play to Marcus Hill because the accusation was that he was a, a manager who struggled to organise a defence and with some evidence at, at Hull and Watford. But yeah, they are one of the best defending sides in the Premier League now and they've got enough attacking players that that they will score goals. I, I always think if a side is going to break into the top six, it's the defending they have to get right first because lots of sides will score 55, 60 league goals in the season. But if you concede 45, then you're probably not going to make the top six. But Everton have got that foundation now with with those defenders and and Moise Keane and Richarlison and Sigurdsson and etc. And Bernard. And Bernard, Bernard yeah, he yes. scored the winner. Yeah. He scored the winner and uh, he struggled a little bit uh, last season, especially at first because he's obviously a very tiny player. He's he's not physical and and he he even spoke openly about it that it was hard for him at first. But now he understands more the Premier League and he understands the way he needs to move and what he can offer uh, for Everton's attack. So he. He had a hard time at Ukraine and then he came to the Premier League. So he's really hopeful that this could be his season because he's more established in the team and Marco Silva really likes him. And I think it, it could be a good season for him. OK, who's your favourite Brazilian player in the Premier oh, League? that's Natalie? difficult. Like, who do you have a real soft spot for? <laughs> I think I would have to say Alisson. Yeah? In technical terms. Well, you can be in whichever terms oh, okay. you like. OK, oh, no, he's a very nice guy. But uh, in terms of... 
personally, Fernandinho is such a great guy. He's oh, yeah? top guy. Yes, yes, he's okay. top guy. Uh, I can't complain much about the Brazilians. Bernard is lovely. He's is the he? most smiley person you'll ever meet in your life. Yeah, he's he's very nice. And he they always stop to talk to, to us, so I can't complain which about Brazilian the Brazilian Which Brazilian players aren't smiley? Which are the grumpy ones? Uh, more serious ones? Uh, it's not about grumpy, but like Richarlison, he's a little bit shy. Mm, right. So he's... Oh, Ederson. Ederson, he doesn't like interviews much okay. he's very shy about it and he says it's okay but yeah yeah i think would say ederson okay yeah fantastic but ederson <laughs> who slapped down tommy robinson on twitter when he realized that a picture that he had taken alongside him was being used for propaganda purposes yes. by robinson and his crew so ederson will always be a hero brilliant in my books. <laughs> speaking of twitter slapdowns oh, james yeah. madison that on, was extraordinary, uh, wasn't it? on clarkson quite mm, enjoyed jeremy that one. clarkson's saying that madison needs to go and practice football yeah, spent thought, too much time yeah. with the barbers. Who would have thought allegedly. that Jane Clarkson would come out with some sort of ill-informed <laughs> guff about something that he wasn't educated on? Right. Yeah, so right-wingers on Twitter, watch out. Football's got its eye on you. Hey, speaking of tweets, we'll be having a look at uh, a few more from you, listener, in a second or two, and rounding up some incredible things that happened uh, in Europe over the weekend. First, though, over to producer Ben. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Here is Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's start at the top of the table. So City have dropped points in controversial fashion. So what's that done for Liverpool's title odds? Yeah, totally fair question given their result over the weekend. But even though Man City have dropped points, they remain odds-on favourites to win the Premier League. They're 4-9 now, so they have drifted slightly. Liverpool 23-10 to to win the league. Everyone else, forget about it. A hat-trick for Timu Puki in the defeat of Newcastle. That's four goals for the season for the Canary striker. But can he finish as the Golden Boot winner? <laughs> I'm still dreaming about that volley. It's 22-1 to 1 that Puki wins the Golden Boot this season. That's the same price as Jamie Vardy and Alexander Lacazette. He's keeping good company. But Harry Kane remains the favourite. He's 7-2 to be top scorer. Raheem Sterling and Aubameyang have started the season well. They're 5-1, to 1, looking like value there too. Salah 11-2, but for Puki... Some price. Things have started rather well for Graham Potter at Brighton. Can the Seagulls finish in the top half of the table this season? Right, so it's 10-3 to 3 that Brighton finish in the top half of the Premier League this season. That sounds quite short, and it's the same price that they go down, to put it into perspective. But we think they'll finish 14th, according to our odds. Uh, the big six, obviously, massively odds on to finish in the top half, as are Everton, Wolves and Leicester. Then it's a race for 10th, which you put West Ham at the front of the queue, just ahead of Bournemouth. And finally, Lee, it's all going wrong for Watford. Are they going to get relegated this season? Ooh, it's that awkward price again. It's 10 to 3, so effectively a little bit longer than 3 to 1. The same price as Brighton's go down, as we've just heard. Not a great start for Watford, but we think they'll be OK. Newcastle, the new clear favourites of relegation at 6 to 5. Sheffield United, who've had a good start, and Aston Villa, who have not, join them in our bottom three, according to our betting. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18s and over only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Here's Dan Takon. Uh, Revar, why don't the referees now go and consult the screens? Is this the same across the other European leagues? It's, you don't want that. No. No, no you don't want that. <laughs> Honestly, because that happens in so many leagues in mm. Brazil as well. And it's a nightmare when they go to consult the, the screens. This yeah, was a clear and conscious decision by the Premier League. We'll bring it in, but we don't want print, uh, um, <laughs> officials wasting 90 seconds wandering over. No. And yeah, and I think it's welcome. And it's unfortunate that one of the main VAR talking points of the weekend was a penalty that was missed. And there was actually another one, slightly less blatant, in the Villa-Bournemouth game. I think Josh King got got caught on the back of the ankle by Trezeguet. But unfortunately, that the Man City Spurs um, penalty incident with Rodri and Lamella should have been a penalty uh, and wasn't. Um, and so you look at the, the Premier League's decision to adopt this slightly higher bar and you, and you question it. But I think globally speaking, it is the right approach. I think the hope is that over the course of the season, the fact that there'll be this light, lighter touch applied with VAR is something that the league itself will benefit from. Excellent. As mentioned back at the start, none of the champions of the top five leagues won this weekend. Barcelona lost their La Liga opener to an extraordinary goal by Athletic Bilbao's 38-and-a-half-year-old Aritz Adriz. Did you all see this? Wow. All right. 
Bayern got held to a 2-2 draw by Hurta Berlin and went out and signed Cuccinho. That's a bit of a shock, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. Especially if you consider Neymar is dying to, to leave PSG and right. Coutinho was involved in that, yeah. So uh, PSG, without Neymar this weekend, mm-hmm. Sunday night, then went and lost 2-1 to Rennes. They did. Um, worth pointing out the performance of Eduardo Camavinga. Right. 16-year-old Angolan midfielder for Rennes, who plays as the holding midfielder in a 4-3-3 and who absolutely ran the show, sets up the second goal with his pass from out on the right. I don't think I've ever seen a 16-year-old playing in that position, play with that amount of composure. You might get a 16-year-old centre-forward or a winger who gets thrown on you know, for the last half an hour of a game, but to be starting matches at 16 and playing with that sort of composure is incredible. So he is Is he big for a 16-year-old? No, he's not massive. I mean, he's quite sort of tall and, and rangy. I don't think he's filled out yet for fully um, and you suspect that his you know his momentum will slow a little bit and mm. I imagine he'll have to be taken out of the firing line and, and, and rested every now and again but a really really exciting talent uh, equally people expecting that at some point he might be whisked away from Wren but somebody was pointing out on Twitter that, that they're actually owned by one of the richest men in football they are indeed who's that then? yes uh, Francois-Henri Pinot French businessman husband of Salma Hayek what amongst other things where's his money from from business Business. Mm-hmm. I see. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Uh, right. And Ren off to a flying start. Leon off to a flying start. We'll talk about all of that in the Totally Football Show's Tuesday edition, which is all about Europe. But, hey, Natalie, you mentioned the Neymar question out of the squad on Sunday. There's talk once again today about uh, Dybala making a move from Juve to Paris Saint-Germain, despite the incredible goal he scored, admittedly yeah. in a friendly against Triestina. But a sort of an 80 million pound move there is that what everyone's waiting for to free up that whole Neymar moving away from Paris transfer yeah there I think that's the big question in this transfer window it's getting a little just get it over with I mean Mm. and nobody knows if Real Madrid still uh, up for it because once Barcelona uh, negotiated Coutinho we don't know what to expect because the rumors in Spain was that Real Madrid was making a statement to Barcelona okay if you are up going uh, for Neymar we're going for Neymar as well so and now we've been hearing talk, talks about Dybala leaving Juventus which I don't think it would be the case but it's a big question mark now I can't wait for the window to close <laughs> mm, good Excellent. Well, I can't wait for Tuesday's edition of the Totally Football Show in which we'll be asking uh, what next for Neymar. And, and hopefully it won't be too boring. How will Coutinho fit in at, at Bayern? How good does João Felix look at Atletico Madrid? And are they the favourites for the, the title in Spain this year? And also Alexis Sanchez to Inter. Discuss. Uh, that's coming up on Tuesday. The regular Common or Garden Totally Football Show will return on Thursday with Lindsay Hooper, Michael Cox and Duncan Alexander. Uh, but for now, it's many, many thanks to Natalie, Daniel and Tom. Tom, are you off to write something now? I am. Oh, can you tell us what it is? I'm writing a preview of the Serie A season. Are you? In fact, James. Oh, yeah. Brilliant. And what's yeah. the conclusion of your, of your preview? I don't know yet because I haven't written it. Right. But <laughs> I will nice. let you know. It's nice that you don't come to it with kind of like preconceived ideas. Yeah. Blank, now, clean slate. Blank I'm page. not sure when your deadline is, but I would have a listen to Tuesday's Total oh, Show. Oh, I most certainly will. Which we'll be discussing the opening round thereof. And uh, Parma Juve, great opening fi- fixture. Daniel, what are you up to next? Busy week, and then Liverpool Arsenal on Saturday. Just can't wait be there, for. You? Yeah, I think that's it. It was a, a game of last season for me in terms right. of a spectacle. So yeah, can't wait. Brilliant. You're off to Molyneux this evening. Yes. What are you most yes. looking forward to about Wolverhampton? Oh, to see how they will react after dropping points on the first round against okay. Leicester. So that's going to be and also just the whole Wolverhampton Black Country experience. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Yes. Okay. Yes, and, and next weekend I'll be at Watford, West Ham, and then Spurs, Newcastle. That's living all right. I'll also be at Spurs Newcastle, and I've not been to the new Spurs ground yet, and I'm oh. very excited about yes. it. Yes. Brilliant. All right, well, that's all fantastic, and I look forward to seeing you guys again soon, and you, listener, especially you. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com.